Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Mastermind FM. This week we're talking business and finance, and I'm very happy to be joined by Christy Chiranas from Caldera Labs. Christy, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here. This is exciting. In all honesty, I hadn't heard your name until around a month ago when I followed your talk at WorldCamp EU. But since then, I've been more motivated to take more of an interest in the financial side of our business. So thank you for taking the time to actually educate uh, the WordPress community about what's going on as well. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I am what I would consider brand new to the WordPress community. I think some people might correct me and say that's no longer true anymore. But I still think I'm brand new because everybody else seems to have been at this for a decade. You know, so. How long have you been with Caldera Forms? In a full-time capacity, about a year and change, and in some way involved with WordPress, now coming up on three, four years. All right. Mm -hmm. You're similar to me, so we're in the same (laughs) boat. All right. So usually I start off by asking the guests to tell me a bit about themselves. But to be honest, I found your LinkedIn profile and that little short bio, I'll link to it anyway. It got me quite interested in how you actually were brought up. That's really funny. Yeah, for the listeners, the short bio is like this total troll, Um, you know, because LinkedIn is so stuffy and serious, right? So I thought like, let's see who notices this. And uh, the LinkedIn bio is like, my career started when I was seven years old in my family's kitchen in Lima, Peru. I started selling plants. Things escalated from there. Something like that, right? (laughs) Yeah. How much of that is true? Um, All of it. Or is it all true? (laughs) All of it is true. That is one of my mom's favorite stories to tell. You know, like all of our parents have that story that's like, (laughs) and this is when I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) That's my mom's, this is how I knew when I was in trouble story was that, yeah, I was born in Lima and I grew up, you know, close to downtown in a big apartment building. And in school, they like, there was some lesson or something that like, if you put beans in like little jars, like, you know, like the jars that food come in, you can wash them out, then they would grow into little plants and have little flowers. And I was like, I bet you my neighbors would pay for that. And I was like, what? And of course, I think they paid more for the adorable factor of a seven-year-old telling them plants and like the value of the plants themselves. But that story is totally true. Yeah. So I kicked off your business career then. <laughs> um, it's it's a funny anecdote, but there's like there's two things in there that are very heavy topics that are related um, to that for me. Right, one of them, which is. Mm-hmm the access of a business career to women and the access of a business career to lower income people, right? Because you would think that things like that kicked off my business career, right? Like everybody kind of thinks that, but that's not what happened, right? Like most of the feedback that I got was like, this is kind of weird, you know, like, please, please, please go to college and get a real job, right? Whereas now as an adult, I look back on those experiences and I think, you know, I wonder how different it would have been if... I was a little boy, right? Like if maybe the subconscious mind would have said like, oh yeah, this little boy is enterprising, right? Like, or even, you know, uh, had been brought up in the United States, right? Like the United States, from what I've seen, US parents are a lot more prone to sort of encourage their children's mm-hmm. entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like the yeah, idea exactly. of like lemonade stands and mowing lawns is very common. Yeah, whereas... 
in Lima, the way that I was brought up, everybody would tell you that you want to be a professional and that you need to go to university and you need to have a career. You need to be a doctor. You need to be an engineer, you, you know, and those two things are very different. So it actually took me a long time to look back on all of those anecdotes because that was only the first of many, right? Like I sold stuff on eBay. I had like jewelry store when I was like 15, right? Like stuff like that. And it took a long time for somebody to actually like look at me in the face and say business, right? So that's cool. It's good that you actually fought the stigma of what you're meant to be doing in inverted commas. It's similar here in Moto where you're meant to go to school, you're meant to go to university. Like the same path that everyone should follow. And I did that. I got to university and after a year I quit and got into a completely different field that I never studied before and now I end up here. So I think that's it works. awesome because you see a lot of that in WordPress and you see a lot of that more and more with what it costs to go to university. I mean, especially in the US, you know, yeah, it's the tides are changing. Yeah. I can't really say the same because to be honest, we're, you're paid to go to university in Malta. You're actually given a stipend. and Yeah, it's, it's a bit different. It's not that expensive, but it's a completely different path. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Now, uh, excuse the pun, but let's get down to actual <laughs> business of what we're going to talk about. So we'll start with financial forecasting. So this is something you spoke about at WordCamp EU. I'll put a link in the show notes to it as well uh, so the others can follow it. But in a nutshell, what is financial forecasting and why is it important for WordPress businesses? Yeah. In a nutshell, financial forecasting is something that we do every day, which is think about how much money we're going to make for certain actions, right? So everybody does this to some degree. And that's a big part of what I try to get across in this talk, which I gave at WordCamp US last year and WordCamp EU this year is that you're already doing this, right? Like financial forecasting doesn't mean a discount cash flow evaluation every single time. It means you as a business owner sitting back and thinking about how much money did I make last month? What were the factors of that income? How can I repeat a similar amount of income the following month? What worked? What didn't? How much can I expect this level of recurring income to grow over time? And then all of the assessments that people make surrounding that question, right? So you'll hear a lot of people talk about things like return on investment, right? So if you do this work and you put up this landing page, what kind of return are you going to get? That's financial forecasting right? Just that the models and methods that we have are actually structured and we can get as granular or as broad with it as essentially our resources allow us to. Yeah. And speaking of methods, so what are the main methods to use to actually create financial forecasts, especially for the small businesses who maybe don't afford to hire uh, outside agencies? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, definitely, I wouldn't recommend that any small business ever hire an outside agency for financial forecasting, right? It's just there are better things you can be doing, like getting more clients and figuring out what makes you special. But the basic tools for a small business, I would say you have this idea of rule of thumb processes, right? So this is the thing that we all do in our brains, which is I made X amount of money last month. I should be making this amount of money next month plus a little bit more, right? Like something like that. Um, And then from there, we have slightly better things that we can be doing, right? Which are to build out time-based forecasts based on things that have happened in the past 
or things that we foresee happening in the future, right? So one of the most basic ones is the idea of like a seasonal forecast, right? So throughout the year, every business sees ups and downs and being able to take what others are telling you about it, right? So it's external information and then also see what has happened in the past. If your business has existed for a longer period of time is useful, right? So do you slow down during the holidays, right? Do you slow down in the winter for whatever reason? That's a useful thing. And of course, to be able to glean that data, you need some sort of useful data collection, which means accounting software, a bookkeeper that you pay to sort of organize your transactions into boxes so that you actually know what's going on and that you're not taking wild guesses. And then from there, we have the slightly more complicated things, right, which are how to make mathematical assessments as to whether an activity is worth doing, right? So that comes out when you are thinking about offering a new service, when you're thinking about offering a new product, and you're thinking, well, how much time am I going to spend setting this up and promoting it? What is my time valued at? What else could I be doing to earn money? And does this math, am I making more money than I spend Or, you know, do I think that the more money that I'm making is worth all of the effort compared to the next best alternative? So you always think about the potential for the future, basically. Right. And again, that's what financial forecasting is, right? It doesn't have to be something crazy. It's just simply that. All right. So you mentioned what starting something new. So are there specific methods which apply at different stages of a business as in if something's brand new about to launch or six months or a year in or five years in, are there different approaches which you should take depending on what stage you're at? If something is low interest? No, depending on what stage you're at within the business, whether it's about to launch, whether it's been out for a year, out for five years, are there different methods you should use? That's more of a strategy question, in my opinion. The answer is yes, right? But I wouldn't say that that is a difference in methodology and financial forecasting. I would say that that is a product strategy question of which basic financial forecast to make sure you're not doing something silly is essential. But the question depends more on what you have, right? So a lot of people come out with new products and it's their first product. And it's because they have an idea and they want to solve a problem, right? And so in that situation, figuring out what people want and what you're good at and can deliver on is the most essential thing. Whereas with a more established business, you've already, in theory, figured out what you're good at. You already know you're getting feedback from people about what gets them really excited, the reasons they bought, and what they don't really care about because they're not talking about it, right? You're able to make comparisons between how you talk about your product and how your customers talk about your product or users. Uh, In the case of WordPress, in which we see a lot of people contributing to open source and put out free things, you know, waiting to see if it's possible to monetize, which is an interesting model. Yeah, basically plugging on WordPress.org, for example, and then the add-on freemium model, whatever comes up. Exactly. Or something that you're seeing more and more now, which is the free plugin on WordPress and then a SaaS product behind it, which is pretty cool. Um, Are we seeing more of that lately? I think that I am. I've seen a couple of really cool services coming out for different solutions. I've seen 
a social media solution come out that does that social web suite. I have been following Freemios closely, which yep. is kind of like that. Um, and Caldera Forms Pro has a SaaS product behind it that powers some of the features outside of the add-ons, like email deliverability and anti-spam. So I'm seeing that more and more, and it makes sense, right? Because we're living in a world where our internet is based off of different services uh, working together. So, All right, so that gives you the opportunity to work outside of WordPress as well, then? I think that I'm seeing that opportunity more and more for developers. My role at Caldera WP has to do with the administration and marketing and operations of the business, as well as a huge part of the servicing of customers. But as far as I'm seeing where developers, right, which who are the bulk of the product that any business like this is selling, I'm seeing a lot of opportunities for learning modern web technologies that work adjacent to WordPress, right? And um, learning Laravel, learning React, these things are becoming really essential. And I think they're going to become more and more essential as we move forward. All right. Uh, we actually had a recent episode with uh, Alain Schlesser. Oh, cool. Anton, who's our lead developer as well. And they spoke a lot about different technologies to use and um, basically the struggles within WordPress with the older technology in a way. So there's a comparison of those two, which uh, I know I can listen to in the previous episode. So we've mentioned now developers' support and all that. So all this comes into play when you're doing financial forecasting because of your expenses and your revenue and the comparison of the two. So first of all, when it comes to revenue, I guess we're talking about purely sales, right? Yes. And then when it comes to the expenses, it's split into two in the sense of cost of goods sold and expenses. So when it comes to development time, support time, hosting fees, SaaS and other services that you mentioned, like using Jilt for cart recovery, for instance, what should be considered a cost of goods sold and what should be considered an expense? Sure. I love the analogy that I learned in school for this, and it's going to carry me through all of my life. The difference between those two things is consider an ice cream truck, right? If you own an ice cream truck and your business is selling ice cream from your ice cream truck, Your expenses are everything that you pay for in relationship to selling the ice cream. The cost of goods sold is the ice cream. So the truck, the gas you put in the truck, the money that you paid for the branding and images that go in the truck, what you pay the person who sits in the truck and scoops the ice cream, all of those things are expenses. The cost of goods sold is only the ice cream. Mm-hmm. All of those things together, right, are your organization expenses, but you have your cost of goods sold, which is the actual cost of the thing that you've handed over, okay. right? And then the organization's expenses are all of the other things. And the reason that that differentiation matters is because that's, that's how we calculate margins, right? What I want to understand as a business person is... If I took something that was a dollar and I sell it to you for $3, I made $2, right? Mm-hmm. And then what were the costs of me sitting here and handing it over to you? What were the costs of that? But at the end of the day, that raw material is the same thing that's getting passed on. Yeah. So the way that we calculate what the value added of an organization is, is that space in between the raw material and then how much that same material was sold for. All right. So in the case of plugins and themes, 
isn't that a bit harder to calculate given basically you develop the product once and then it's maintaining it and adding features but it's much more difficult to figure out what the cost actually is it's astronomically difficult and that's not just for plugins and themes that's all software development we're getting into this place Mm -hmm. where that line has become extremely blurry traditionally we considered staff an expense and raw materials a cost of uh, you know the good and that model no longer works and so you see this idea of oh well cost of goods sold is relative across industry and they can't be compared or like you can't compare the margin of a grocery store to the margin of a software development company because of this reason and so the way that the academic business world has accepted this problem is like okay, you know, different industries have different margins and that's okay. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that I really like that acceptance because then we're walking around saying, oh, the technology industry has such high margins. No, it doesn't, (laughs) right? It's just that we're not calculating the margins correctly. And so a thing that we're challenged with is this idea of how do we separate the amount of money that we're paying for product development and the money that we're paying that are expenses. There's no hard answer. Mm -hmm. This is also new in the grander context of how long humans have been engaging in commerce, that a lot of the models that we created in the 60s and 70s, when the academic study of business started, well, it started a little bit before that, but a lot of the models that we examine now, it costs a good sold and things like that are from around that area, are kind of falling apart. Because that model of raw materials doesn't apply in the exact same way to plugins and themes. There's no academic answer. There is a high chance, in my opinion, that within our lifetimes, there's going to be an academic answer. But right now, there's not. A lot of our institutions are struggling to keep up with the pace of change of technology. And this conversation surrounding the cost of goods sold is another, yet another example of this. With that said, unless you're a publicly traded company, you get to call the shots about what you say is cost of goods sold and what isn't. Okay. So at Caldera, a lot of what I consider cost of goods sold is uh, development subcontracting, which we do a lot of, because that is not an expense that I would take on if it weren't for the products. It's a murky area, All right. but most of the time... I've told our bookkeeper to consider one-time development subcontracting cost of goods sold and all support is cost of goods sold. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. With that said, those are things that I arbitrarily made up because we don't have solid answers yet. We have a lot of ideas about how to do this, right? Ranging from the very, very hard line, like, no, we have standard accounting principles and the standard accounting principles say staff's an expense to, I don't know, I don't think so. I want to calculate my margins differently. And it really just depends on how your numbers are most useful to you. All right. When you mentioned subcontractors, are those people who are on the actual development of the plugin or is it specific side projects? What do you mean by specific side projects? Let's take other forms. Okay. Do you hire subcontractors to work on that from time to time? Or do you have... Those guys work on something as they have full-time developers for Caldera Forms. Got it. So Caldera Forms is much smaller than you probably think it is. Caldera Forms is two full-time people, myself and my business partner, Josh Pollock, and a handful of part-time people that help out with support, content, 
and the website. All right. So when it comes to development, we have a team of developers that also work on a part-time subcontract basis. And we mostly measure success by closing issues and time and things like that. So to answer that, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. But the two full-time developers you do have, is there a time considered an expense or a cost of goods sold? Or is there often half sort of situation? The two full-time staff members are an expense. All right, okay. Is that correct? <laughs> I guess it's tried and there as well over time to figure out what makes sense for your business. Right. And this is a huge conversation. We're touching on a point of pain for a lot of analysts, even outside of just this pure world of plugins and themes, right? Because, for example, um, mm-hmm. there's this idea of like sweat equity, right? Like if you look outside of the WordPress ecosystem and you look into like the pure sort of like SaaS startups tech kind of world, right? There's this idea of when making an assessment, uh, you want to consider one of the factors to assess the initial investment as investment by the founder, right? And so in the past, we measured that in money because people would come in and they would say, well, I'm going to invest my own money into buying these products that I am going to do something to and resell and that's going to be value added, right? And so then when you would seek outside capital, they would ask you, what degree of personal investment has this person made into this concept, right? And so you would have the receipts. But now we have this idea that your investment can be you sitting up late on nights and weekends building something. You didn't spend any money, but it could very easily be argued that there is an opportunity cost of consulting hours that you could have made instead of what you made and that we should quantify those hours and consider that initial capital investment in the company and reflect that on the balance sheet. And some people say yes, some people say no, we don't really know. Okay. It seems to make sense just saying it now. Your time is money anyway. So right. there is some investment going in always. Right. All right. So earlier I mentioned so business strategy. So what does it mean exactly when someone says business strategy and what does it usually involve? I would have a narrow definition of business strategy. I believe that business strategy and strategic management is the analysis of internal and external factors to find a company's long-term competitive advantage, right? Like that's in the textbook. And what that means is this idea of figuring out what the world wants and is willing to pay for and how much and what things you know how to do and do really well and enjoy doing and figuring out a match between those two things and then figuring out how to deliver that service at high quality or acceptable quality, right? Because quality is relative, it's a factor of price essentially, right? So quality is just this idea of like, are you getting value for the amount of money you paid for it? Yeah. So do it at acceptable quality, deliver promises and do that for a long period of time, right? So that's strategy. And so in the context of products, plugins, themes, productized services, SaaS products, you're looking at how to build, how to create a business model that delivers on whatever promise you're hoping to do. And a lot of that in our context is marketing strategy, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of that is 
messaging. There's so many of us that the strategy that works for IKEA, which is supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, is not what we're focusing on. But strategy as a whole is identifying that funnel and going down it and making sure that you're taking the correct actions. So actually coming up with a strategy around how you're going to promote your product, how you're going to structure it, what to put in it, how it evolves over time is something you should consider before. If you do it, basically create a product without a strategy and then try to do it as time goes by, I think you're going to struggle much more than having pre-planned. I would say you have to have a conscious hypothesis. Okay. I think that at a startup stage, right, when you're just starting out and you have an idea and you want to put a plugin out there, you are better off doing something than coming up with the perfect plan. All right. And that is something that I tried really hard to sort of get across in that financial forecast to talk at WordCamp Europe because a lot of developers, especially, come to me and talk to me. And sort of the reason that I've been able to get these talks submitted and become a part of the WordPress community is because developers are worried that their business skills are not up to par and that that's going to cause their great product to fail. And so they think about, um, well, I have to have the right training to talk to all these people and do this. I'm like, you have to come up with a reasonable hypothesis, which you can do in a day. And then you need to build something to prove or disprove that hypothesis. Because you can talk to 10 different people and get six different opinions about what you should be doing. <laughs> and in general, all those opinions are going to hold the same weight because if one was righter than the other, then somebody else would be doing it. It would be already known canon, right? And so when it comes to strategy, when it comes to financial forecasts, going into it totally blind is silly because you'll just waste your time. But going into it with a reasonably forward hypothesis and then figuring out what's the least amount of work that you as a developer can put in to either prove or disprove that hypothesis so that you can either build a new hypothesis or build upon the hypothesis that you originally created is the way to go. So I think that it would be silly for an aspiring plugin author to create a plugin just because they think it's a good idea and never talk to anybody and sink weeks and weeks and weeks into creating it. I also think it would be silly for that plugin author to spend nine months engaging in nothing but market research because there's a cost-benefit function here. At some point, you have collected 80% of the information that you need to succeed and getting that 20% there is going to be harder than the first 80%. Yeah, we faced I think something similar with with EDD bookings. So we're about to, to launch the plugin, and about a year and a half ago is when I started actually looking into whether it's worth doing this or not. So we're looking for a new project, and uh, basically through WP Mayor, we looked at what market made sense to go into. Uh, we saw the bookings, the appointment bookings plugin market. We saw with EDD we needed something ourselves, so we said it's worth doing a rewrite of the old simple plugin we had and go for something new. That's where it took about two to three months of actually doing a little research. So going through blog posts, reading, uh, testing other plugins, uh, reading comments, reviews, and whatnot to see what works and what doesn't work. And then after that's when we went into basically discussing the development of it, discussing the design. We did make mistakes in the sense that we tried to work on the design and the UI and UX internally between myself and two developers rather than consulting designer in the first place. 
So it worked out in a way that certain things came out from that situation, but for the amount of time spent, it made more sense to hire someone, which is what we did later, and basically spent a month with us. And that month gave us a lot more value than what uh, we had done before. That's a really cool story because that's essentially the crux of it, right? Like, if there is any planning that I would recommend at the beginning, it would be really sitting down and making a list of stuff you're good at or that your team is good at and stuff that your team is not good at, Mm -hmm. right? And really having that clear and present every single day. Uh, We have internal strengths at Caldera uh, between Josh and I. And we have things that Josh and I are awful at. UX and design is one of them. And identifying that early on means that we know, like, we shouldn't try to DIY this, right? Like, we need to do as little of it as we need to exist, and then we need to pay somebody else. And so then the next planning thing that I would recommend for any new product would be actually doing some basic research and calculation on what it's going to cost you to eventually hire out all of these tasks. Because if the cost of that doesn't match up with the projection of what you think you can reasonably make, you're wasting your time. And that's, you know, that's a basic financial forecasting. Yeah, that's that's something we looked at at first. So when we were looking for designers, you'd find a range of people from working for $10 an hour to working for $100 an hour and over. So it's about figuring out what we think this could make and what the investment is going to be worthwhile. We happened to find Danny Watcher, an Irish designer who came with us for a month, basically. He did a great job. He gave us one idea of our availability calendar, which no other WordPress bookings plugin has. Basically gives you the amount of complete flexibility over setting up your available times and dates. And just that one discovery from him is worth the entire time and money we invested in that partnership with him so overall it becomes worthwhile then just figure out what you want to actually spend on someone like that nowadays you'll find anything no matter what your budget is you're going to find someone <laughs> that's so true and you're going to get what you pay for 100 percent of the time yeah, exactly <laughs> uh which is actually fine right because how how great do you need to get this is yeah this is you need to figure out again quality is a function of price mm-hmm. and if you need to Basically, if you start out small, start out cheap, you can always make changes later, create a new version. At least you've proven proven the concept of what you want to actually build. Yeah. At the end of the day, it all comes down to finding that sweet spot behind planning that is going to prevent problems down the road and over planning. And there's there's a spot right in the middle mm-hmm. and only you can find it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, at least from my experience, it's a bit of trial and error as well. So you actually take some time to figure out what's too much and what was worth it. Right. Because at the end of the day, if the answer was obvious, somebody else would have already done it. Yeah. And it's not always the same anyway. So you can speak to one person who tells you I did one month of research and it was enough. You can speak to someone who says it does six months and that was what he needed. So you really never know where you're going to totally. where you're gonna land. All right. So with regards to the administration of a business, one of the hardest aspects is staying in control of time management, basically. So most plugin and team owners nowadays are small teams, like like you guys are at Caldera WP, like we are with our plugins. And sometimes it's even just a single developer. And coincidentally, today I came across a tweet of yours discussing the idea of learning how to work faster. And someone tweeted back about low impact and high impact work. It was the first thing I saw when I opened Twitter this morning. And so on that note, how much of a higher low impact is managing financial forecasts and the strategies of one's business? 
it's funny because the answer to that is it depends on the impact of the capital investment. Okay. If you're making a low dollar value decision, and again, that's that's relative, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're making a small dollar value decision, sometimes the amount of time that you spend thinking about the forecast could have been used in a more intelligent way. Whereas if you're launching a new product, I really hope that you sit down for a while and think about what you expect to bring in over what period of time, why, what you're good at, and what you need to outsource at the minimum. It depends on the weight of what you're doing. Certainly when people are starting out, you need sales targets that you need to see if you can hit a lot more than you need a deep and detailed forecast based on external and internal factors that map out every single potential situation because you need customers a lot more than you need a guess about what's going to happen in the future. (laughs) And so when it comes to high impact and low impact work, I think it depends. And I find myself saying it depends a lot, but it really does. What is the money value of the thing that you're debating? That's going to tell me whether building a forecast for this is high impact or low impact work. At, uh, at WordCamp Europe, someone asked a really good question, right? Which was, they said, like, I'm, I'm the finance manager of a company and I'm trying to make a decision about a $10,000 capital investment on something, something, something. It, it was a good question, right? But my brain got stuck on the fact that he said $10,000. I was like, how big is your company? Because if your company is two people, and you guys are going to invest $10,000. Okay, yeah, like that's not a small amount of money. If your company is huge, let's say you're like, a, what's what's huge in WordPress? I don't know, like 200 people. I think automatic said 500, right? I don't know. So let's say you're a 200 person company, large enough to have a finance officer, right? Like you have to have some degree of organizational finance offer. $10,000 seems like a relatively small amount of money. That seems like sponsorship, right? And so I have so many more questions before I can tell you how to build a forecast for your $10,000 investment, how to look at determinants of your function, how to do things like that. I want to know why we're doing this. Yeah. You know, and again, a good consultant versus a bad consultant asks these questions, whereas the bad consultant just builds you the model, even if it wasn't the best and most intelligent way to spend your money. I think we're lucky in a way that in the WordPress community, many people are actually open on their own strategies on what they make and how they forecast and everything. It's not something you find anywhere else, in my opinion. That was something that absolutely blew me away when I started doing this. I was shocked. I remember asking, you know, because I came on, the first thing I did was sort of like this like essential strategic setting that didn't exist for Caldera Forms. And so I said, well, I need these data points. How do I find them? Are they available? And I don't remember what one of them was, but I remember asking Josh about it. And he goes, oh, you could probably just ask Jason Cohen. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can just ask Jason Cohen. Like, what, are you crazy? You know, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you can just go up to Jason Cohen and ask him a question, right? <laughs> totally false. You totally can. Yeah. Right? And I think that's really beautiful. And that's the world that I want to live in. Yeah, that, that's something that happened with me. So with John, it was the same thing. And I was introduced at first. He used to do it. And once I took over, like, the management role, he would tell me, like, go ask him something. Go ask her something. Like, what do you mean, ask, dude? You literally just 
ask that question over time yeah. you're right that actually works people are open um, that works yeah i remember one of the like brilliant. coolest wordpress community experiences i had was like you know we make caldera forms and i met carl hancock from gravity forms and he was like the coolest person he was like giving advice on how we can be better i was like what this is incredible you wouldn't see this in any other industry and yeah i it's something that makes me enjoy the work that we do Brilliant. The market's big enough for all of us nowadays, so it doesn't really. There's competition, but so that you're gonna outmarket someone else, most probably. You're gonna if you're doing things right, you're gonna have your own share of the market, and you're gonna do well anyway. Definitely. All right. So you personally have an MBA from Florida State University. You know business well. You've got an idea of how to do all of this. For those of us who don't have a background in business, whether it's forecasting, whether it's administration. What sort of resources should we look into to learn more? I really like all of the, like, what are we talking about? The, like, startup methodology canon, right? And, like, that's stuff that you don't learn in business school or whatever. I mean, that's changed now in the last couple of years, right? There's, like, more and more entrepreneurship schools and things like that. But in general, right, like, you're not reading things like Start With Why and Business Model Canvas and things like that. And that sort of stuff is good because it gives you again that sweet spot right like you're not building out full like several thousand dollars discount cash flow models to evaluate your plugin idea but you are engaging in the exercise of what am i good at what am i bad at what do i need to outsource what is it going to cost to outsource how much can i reasonably expect to bring in when i look at what similar products are priced and how many people are using them over how many months am i going to have to work to aggressively and maybe in a not scalable way grow a user base going through those exercises is what you need to get started when you're at a medium growth phase i think that engaging in communities where there are people with quote-unquote formal educations in business is the best way to go because you know uh, mid-stage businesses have different challenges than starting people right and doing things like engaging in sort of like the like startup strategy canon isn't exactly going to be the most useful way to spend your time but sharing in questions about delegation user onboarding uh, cost management rolling out new products vertical horizontal integrations you're going to be able to get that through engaging in communities that are about these things and then in the later stage you can hire people you can hire business consultants they're totally a thing yeah when it comes to actually speaking within the community does it make sense to stick local or given that Basically, WordPress plugins and theme owners, it's a worldwide market. So does it make sense to look online for mastermind groups or stuff like that? Or is it better to stick to local in the beginning? There is no such thing as a local WordPress business. Yeah. It's a big statement, but I think I stick by it. I don't like to make generalizations, but I think that's a generalization that I'm going to stick by. Unless it's a small agency, I don't think you can call it local. Exactly. If you're servicing the website needs of local businesses okay you're a local business and we can make assessments as to your local economy and what people are bringing in and willing to spend to see what you can reasonably expect to make but if you're doing something like selling themes and plugins your market is the world and i see a lot of I don't want to call it complaining uh, because it's very legitimate, right? It comes from a place of we as humans want to make sure that our livelihoods are provided for. Um, but I see a lot of conversation 
about like, oh, you know, like I can't compete with the lower cost of this or the lower cost of that, that is somewhere else, right? And it's like, well, then you have two options, right? Like figure out how to compete or don't sell a global product. But when the potential target audience is global, then the potential competition and the potential talent pool and all of those things are also global, right? And we, the more products become global, the more we're seeing these distinctions in income differences based on geographics disappear, which again is the world that I want to live in, right? But a lot of these conversations are pained because it's this very rational and understandable feeling of, oh my God, you know, the place where I live is too expensive for what I can bring in from a global market. And that's, you know, a reality of having the entire world as your potential customer base. That's the downside of such a thing. Yeah. And that's still definitely in play. I mean, when you compare hiring someone in the US to hiring someone in, I don't know, let's say India, you're going to get a massive difference in price. So you can always start where you where you want to start. As you said, there's exponential potential for what you can actually grow into. Yes. So it's worthwhile. Indeed. And the interesting thing too, is that as we see the economy becoming more global that way, we're going to see things and their value maybe potentially more accurately represented in price. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those crazy free market economics people, but I definitely notice a trend in this idea that a developer overseas and a developer in the United States or Western Europe tends to make much, much, much more money when they do similar work. And having this global market means that that difference is shrinking. And for very reasonable reasons, that makes some people uncomfortable, but that's good. We should be for that. We should want to figure out what other things we can do to live in that kind of world. And that's another reason why I think what we're doing is exciting. Definitely in agreement there. All right. You mentioned Start With Why earlier. It's a book I'm, um, I'm reading right now. Listen, I'm listening to the audio version of it on Audible. What, are there any other books that you'd recommend around these topics? There's a lot of interesting productivity books that are around these topics, right? There's that um, mm-hmm. total canon. It's like the seven habits of highly effective people. Right. Like, that's a good one. I read that one when I was doing this. Mm-hmm. I think in general, reading what interests you is important. And trying to find literature by people that you can relate to is important. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, something I found was certain books that start and stop after a few pages. Does even, even because of the voice of the author, it doesn't match the way I think, the way I work. Exactly. So I guess it comes down to actually trying things out. I'm always really reluctant to make book recommendations because I think that reading is such an intimate thing because a one voice can resonate with a person and not resonate with another person at all. And that has to do with their experiences. And that's why we have so much literature. You know, that's not to say that there aren't books that everybody should read, but, you know, in general, I think that it's probably a lot more important to find authors whose uh, stories and way of thinking and methods resonate with you. That makes sense because I I follow Gary Vaynerchuk on YouTube and I've read some of his things. You find people who absolutely adore him. You find people who absolutely hate him. He's successful at the end of the day, but it's what works for you. I think it's mostly as well what you're not usually exposed to. So like Gary Vaynerchuk wasn't wasn't the character I was exposed to being while growing up. So 
hearing that voice and hearing something different, it's hard to resonate more to actually learn something, like a completely different aspect to it. That's an excellent example of why I am reluctant. Like, I am just not a fan. (laughs) 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 um, I'm also, like, not really, like, a Tim Ferriss fan, you know? Like, it's just kind of like, okay. And, And again, like, I don't think that that is about the quality of what they do. I think it's just that I'm looking for content creators that resonate with me. Yeah. And Gary Vaynerchuk and Tim Ferriss and Mark Cuban and whoever these people are, they don't resonate with me. And I think it's a lot more important to forge community, which is effectively what you're doing when you read and when you consume content. Mm -hmm. And if you're reading for education, you know, read education, (laughs) read textbooks, read academic work. But if you're reading to seek community, seek community. Very good. All right. So before we close off, is there anything else you'd like to add? with regards to financial forecasting, administration, whatever it is? I don't think so. I think that we covered a lot of things that I believe are important, which are making intelligent assessments about what you need to get to the next stepping stone working in that way in your career. Yep. All right. So uh, lastly, where can people find you or get in touch? You can find my business at calderaforms.com. Try out our plugin. It's free on WordPress.org. Use for form building on WordPress websites. You can find me personally. I am an active Twitter user. It's at CC Chirinos. And you can also find me on my personal website, uh, christychirinos.com, where I write a lot about basically everything we've talked about in the last hour, entrepreneurship, strategy, administration of the business operations and um, community and being a woman doing this. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. (laughs) All right, great. I'll add links to everything uh, in the show notes and I'll go through your blog as well because now you got me interested in that as well. (laughs) Chrissy, thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.